Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Well, hi there, folks, and thank you for swinging by. Now, if you're looking to get the hell scared out of you, you came to the right place. I have a great little program slated for this evening. But before we begin, if you haven't noticed, it's warming up out there. We have buds on the trees and leaves on the branches. Mother Nature seems to be in full swing. And that typically means that the animals are on the move. Now, I've seen a coyote, a handful of deer, and even a big old bear in just this past week alone. So they're definitely out there moving. And you know, if the known animals are moving, you got to imagine the unknown ones are as well. Perhaps a tribe of Sasquatch move up to higher elevations in search for food. Maybe creatures like Ogopogo and Champ migrate to shallower water to feed or reproduce. And just maybe the creature said to inhabit the 1,700 square mile Pine Barrens of New Jersey is on the move as well. The general area is called the Pine Barrens, and it is, as its name implies, a forlorn, barren wilderness area from Leeds Point moving westward into south-central New Jersey. There were legends among some immigrants, and there were Native American stories reportedly of a mythical creature the Lenope uh, Indian tribe that lived there, they had a term for it called Popusing, uh, basically saying the place of the dragon. And um, some of the early early settlers basically called it uh, Drake Hill, uh, meaning a dragon river. Farmers uh, had trouble growing crops, and therefore settlements didn't flourish very well, and eventually the Pine Barrens became a sort of refuge for various criminal types and outcasts and so that added to its reputation of being a a devilish place now that clip is courtesy of the show lost tapes and as you might imagine this is just the sort of environment you need to conceal a monster and in early january of 1909 an already centuries old creature from the barrens once again reared its ugly head Perhaps its finest hour was the third week of January in the year 1909, when thousands of people saw this thing cavorting over 30 different counties throughout southern New Jersey and Pennsylvania. The sightings were chronicled by several respected Philadelphia and New Jersey newspapers, which were filled with eyewitness accounts and even illustrations of what people claimed to have seen. It was a, a terrifying time. There was actually a state of mass hysteria. There were stories about it attacking people's dogs and even melting a section of railroad tracks. Schools were closed, factories were closed, people refused to go outside. People reported their farm animals being not just killed, but mangled and mutilated. Residents started carrying their guns around and there was this real expectation that this creature was harmful, was threatening, was going to get people, was going to take people. By 1909, already a thousand people had reported seeing this creature. Could a thousand people be wrong? And that one was snagged from the Travel Channel documentary, Monster in the Pines. 
So naturally, anytime you find yourself camping anywhere near Drake Hill or the place of the dragon, any strange sound in the dark could be a monster. So is that what happened to our first caller of the evening? Or did she experience that area's biggest legend? Hi Derek, uh, this is Carlene. I'm from Staten Island, New York, and I wanted to share a creepy encounter that I had, and I was wondering if anybody else had the same or similar experience. Um, I've been listening to you for like only a couple of months now. My sister's actually been listening to you forever, and I used to be terrified of these stories, but slowly but surely, you got me a little bit more comfortable, and I thoroughly enjoy them now, so I wanted to share my own. That actually happened only about two months ago in Harriman State Park which I, uh, I believe is in Jersey. My friend and I went camping, and it was my first camping trip, and I was super excited. I'm a little nervous about sleeping outdoors because I get some anxiety over certain fears, but I still wanted to experience it. So we did maybe like a mile and a half of hiking, and then we found a cool spot by the water. So I will say once we got there, we dropped all of our uh, camping gear and went straight to the water. And uh, as I was walking back, someone's dog, there were tons of people with tons of dogs um, hiking around, and one of them was pretty big, and she had come running through our camping area to get to the water. She was super cute, and I didn't mind at all. And, of course, like most dogs do, as she was running, she was panting uh, because she was exercising, of course. But her family called her back, and she left. So that was that. And then later that night, it's probably around 8 or 9, and it's already pretty dark because September over here on the east and we made dinner and we were tending to the fire I was sitting on this rock that was right behind the fire it was pretty tall so the perfect spot to kind of sit on and stay warm while tending the fire so I was sitting there and my friend was going to get more firewood so he went off to like the forest area that was straight ahead of me so I can see his light from where I'm standing so um, I'm watching him, and I'm a little bit nervous to be alone in the dark right now. And behind me is not as foresty. There's kind of more like thinner trees and, and bushes. Not even large trees, very small, if that. And because it's already getting cold, a lot of leaves have fallen. There's like a fallen tree. So you could see pretty clearly ahead of me where it's kind of more dense, where he was. So as I'm sitting there, I'm tending to the fire, and I and I have to note that I, I have dogs at home, one that's particularly big, her, she's a boxer, so when she runs, she's pants, and I'm kind of used to it. I'm used to her kind of running around and making that deep breathing sound. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm tending to the fire, kind of just watching it and relaxing, and I guess for a minute, or maybe a little bit less, but around that amount of time, there was panting that I didn't realize I, I heard. I guess it was like in my subconscious, I feel like, but I was kind of ignoring it because I was used to it. And also I kind of probably just figured it was Lucy again, coming, trying to get back to the water. So I was just sitting there. It hasn't even like hit my conscious yet, so maybe possibly react. It wasn't until the panting got really loud, almost right behind me in my ear, that it hit my conscious that, oh my God, there is something coming to me, coming close to me, and I should protect myself, even if it is Lucy. I don't know if she's always friendly or what it could be. So as soon as I realized that panting had gotten super close and in my ear, I spun around quickly, very, very quickly. I just, I spun and looked behind me and there was absolutely nothing there. The craziest part is the minute I turned, the panting stopped. 
immediately stopped. It was just, it just subsided. And there was absolutely nothing behind me. It was creepy because if it was any animal that was panting, because they're out of breath, they would still be panting. And anything that got that close, I should be able to see because it was that loud. Also, I didn't hear any footsteps going away or receding, which all of the kind of leaves on the ground I would have. So that kind of just freaked me out. Um, I just grabbed my knife and took until my friend came back and was just prepared to protect myself, but it was pretty terrifying. I quickly kind of got over it, but I will say that night I barely slept. I was just thinking weird things, feeling like I kept hearing footsteps around me. The wolves were super loud and howling, and they seemed to get getting, or coyotes, whatever they are. I honestly don't know uh, what animals are out there, but they were really getting really close. And lastly, there was like a moment where I felt like there were people in my tent with me and that they were like holding me down. I think it was like two women and a man. But it was weird because I, was, I saw them like in my head because I was still in my sleeping bag like and it was zippered closed. And I kind of just kept telling myself like, you know, it's not real until I finally believed it. But it was a really creepy night overall. And I just really wonder if anybody else, especially the panting part, has ever had that happen to them where it gets really close and then just disappears. All right, thank you for hearing my story. I'm excited to see if anybody has similar stories and if, if you air it. All right, thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Now, my apologies, but I didn't quite catch the name there, and in the interest of not ruining the pronunciation, I'll instead opt not to try. But nonetheless, thank you for the entry. Now, at this point, you may be wondering to yourself what this mysterious creature is that I'm teasing, and I'm also certain you want to know what her caller heard that evening, panting behind her at the campfire. Well, legend suggests it could be the 13th child of a worn-out mother from all the way back in 1735. It's said that in 1735, Mother Leeds was pregnant with her 13th child. Her husband Daniel, though a good provider, was an uninvolved father. So the entire burden of taking care of the kids fell on Jane Leeds. She couldn't handle another addition. In a moment of perhaps understandable weakness, she said, I hope this one's not a child. Let this one be a devil. When the baby arrived, everything seemed normal, at first. But then something went terribly wrong. In the space of less than 20 minutes, the baby grew to the size of two full-grown men. He developed coal-red eyes and a horse's head, bat wings, goat feet, and serpentine tail. And then unexpectedly, with one swipe of his right arm, he slit the throat of the midwife in attendance. Leaving carnage in his wake, the Jersey Devil flew up the chimney and escaped into the Pine Barrens, where he's said to have terrorized the people ever since. Now that audio courtesy of New Jersey Spotlight News. Now of course I'm not suggesting that Jersey Devil snuck up behind our poor collar. Nah, it was likely one of those coyotes poking around for some food. Either way, still a sobering thought for a first-time camping trip. But you know, the Jersey Devil story is simply too fun not to explore. And I suppose I should point out that if I hear the park name correctly, Harriman State Park, that's actually on the New York side of the border. But hey, like I said, it's summer, so maybe the animals are on the move. 
Thanks again, caller, for sharing your story. Now our next entry takes us to the volunteer state of Tennessee. Please join me in welcoming Samantha to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Samantha from Sevierville, Tennessee. I was just calling to get your insight about an incident that happened about a year ago. My children's school is based in Sevierville. We're, we're in Dandridge now, but it was in Sevierville at the time. And we were in the school drop-off line, and it was early in the morning, maybe about 7.30ish. There weren't very many cars there at the time. It wasn't quite busy, but I had a sunroof on my car, and one of my children pointed out, Mom, look at that star. And I looked up, and of course, like, there was still an image of the moon from the night before. It hadn't completely vanished. So I look up, and I see the star that they're talking about. It's, but it's rather large to be a star. I can't describe the size, but it was much bigger than a star, but much smaller than the moon was. So both my kids and I seen it all. We're just staring at there, and I reach out to record it, and as we're looking back out the sunroof all of a sudden it just shoot it doesn't vanish I don't look back up and it's gone we've literally seen it just shoot off and I mean it was so fast that I mean maybe maybe two seconds and it was just gone but we did see the initial takeoff to where it was shooting off so I don't know I explained to them that it could be a shooting star but it was sitting still for a rather long time maybe 10 seconds, I want to say. But, yep, that's my story. If you have any input about it, I'd like to know. Thank you. I love your podcast, by the way. Thanks, Samantha. You know, that is peculiar. I think we've all had that moment where we see something we can't quite explain, only to have it shift its angle to clearly reveal a plane or some other explained phenomena. Much to many's relief, I'm sure. But I'm afraid that sort of relief may not be available to Samantha and her children. Because based on her description, this craft doesn't sound like anything I've heard of before. Now based on her description of its behavior, it likely broke the sound barrier, which is roughly 770 miles an hour. So why didn't Samantha and everyone else in that area report a sonic boom? Now I wondered if distance played a factor so I did some digging and learned that the altitude of a supersonic vehicle affects the distance at which the boom can be heard. It turns out it's about one mile for every 1,000 feet of altitude the craft is flying at. So if it was flying at 10,000 feet, it should have been heard as far away as 10 miles. I suppose Samantha is the only one that really knows what the true distance might be. But one thing is for certain, it doesn't sound like any known craft that I'm aware of. And we thank you, Samantha, for reporting it. Now, if you also have a true paranormal encounter that you would like to share on the show, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at Monsters Among Us Podcast forward slash report your sightings for more options. Now, next up, we venture to the state of Colorado, where Alan as an eerie tale set up for us. Hi, Derek. My name is Alan. I am from Colorado. 
I have been listening to your show for about a month and a half, and I'm trying to catch up on all the seasons. A few things I've had happen. This is probably the most questionable one. So when I was 17, I got a job for a neighbor who was into the herding dog shows. So she had about 12 or 13 Australian Shepherds. And uh, my job was to help her out every now and then, go to a show or watch her animals when she was working out of town, things like that. And um, she paid me pretty good for it, actually. For a 17-year-old kid, she was paying me pretty good for it, even though it was part-time. And she was paying me good for it. She lived about four or five miles from my house. Um, this is out in eastern Colorado, out in the plains. I remember the first time, uh, you know, I met her. She guided me how she wanted me to feed her dogs, the special supplements she was feeding her dogs, the medication. There was a couple of dogs that were on medication, so things like that. She also had a bunch of other animals that she had me watch. She had like three acres on her property. But anyway, um, so okay, perfect. So I went and I saw how to do it, what, what have you. So that was about a Friday night, and she was going to be gone for about four days. The first time I was going to go by myself would have been a Saturday. This would have been mid to end of October of 2008, if I'm not wrong. So, you know, it was already starting to get dark around 5, 6 o'clock, things like that. So I go Saturday morning, and nothing's out of the usual. This was an older house, probably built in the late 60s, early 70s. I go over, and I, I feed the dogs in the morning. I let them out of their kennels. I, I give them their morning food. I make sure they're watered. I feed the sheep that she had, the alpacas that she had. I feed all that. Nothing out of the ordinary. I remember leaving the basement, and as I'm leaving the basement to step outside of the house, when I closed the door, I remember thinking to myself, when I shut it, I kind of slammed it, not on purpose, just, you know, the momentum of the door. So I shut it, and I remember thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, you shut it kind of hard, so I give it a, I, I jiggle the door pretty good to, to make sure, you know, I, it shut properly, so, okay, I didn't think nothing of it. I got in the car, I left, she had a gate to her property, so I locked the gate, chained it up, whatever, left it alone. And one thing, too, this was uh, late October. I, it, it does snow, obviously, in Colorado. So I remember the evening before I went back, it, it snowed a little bit. So I go back. Um, I'm about to leave my house. It, was, it had snowed a little bit. Like, I'm talking not much, but enough to be someone on the ground, if I'm not mistaken. And as I'm about to leave, you know, my father says to me, hey, you want me to go with you? And I'm like, you know, 17-year-old me, just like, no, why do I need you to go with me? And he just says to me, well, you know, it's dark. It's out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I can go with you, keep you company. And I said, no, no, I'm good. You know, me wanting to be a grown-up, whatever. And he says, okay, well, do me a favor. Will you at least take one of the pistols with you? Just I'll feel better if you just take one of the pistols with you. And I say, oh, Okay, so I did. I, I grabbed a, a 38 revolver that he had, and I took it with me. I didn't think much of it. I just thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, like he said, out in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, so I get there. You know, I, you know, I unlocked the gate because it was chained up and opened it up, got back in the car and came back in. As I'm coming in, two things stick out to me as I, as I see the house. I see the lights are on, which I had not turned them on at all whatsoever in the morning. And not only that, the spring door is shut, the one that goes to the basement into the house, but the main door is wide open. And, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier, I had made sure that door was shut because when I slammed it, I jiggled it, I gave it a good pull and, you know, it wouldn't open. So in my head, I'm thinking maybe the store could have opened by itself, but you kind of slammed it shut. I mean, it felt it was a heavy door. So I kind of sat in my car for about 10 minutes thinking to myself, I'm like, what if there's a burglar? You know, I'm, I'm sitting in the car looking at the house, you know, I'm looking around and the light snow that there was, was uh, there's no, no footprints in the snow and the light snow that there is. So 
I was a little spooked, but I'm just like, okay, well, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm starting to rationalize some things in my head. I'm like, okay, maybe that door swung open and just maybe I hit the light switches on the way out. So I, I just put it off to the side and I go into the house. I go into the basement because that's where all the kennels are. There's 12 kennels. So I'm getting all the, the, the dinner for the dogs ready. I'm doing all this. You know, um, there's two dogs that required medication and the medication was up in the kitchen. So I go up into the kitchen and when I open the kitchen door, all of the drawers and all of the cabinets are swung wide open. Wide, wide open. I had been there in the morning. They were not like that when I left because the cats were upstairs. I had to feed the cats too. So I open it and it spooks me and I'm like, okay, well, okay, just hurry up. And so I'm like, okay, um, the only light that's on is the one in the kitchen. The living room light is not on right now at this point. And because the living room is, a, it's in the kitchen area anyways. So I open the refrigerator door and, um, and I'm getting the, the medication for the dogs. I mean, I'm grabbing the fridge food she had for the cats. And as I'm doing that, one of the cats comes up and he's looking into the living room and meowing at it, meowing into the living room as if, you know, when you call a cat, sometimes they kind of, you know, meow at you and they, they you know, they, they go that direction. Well, anyways, that's what he, this cat was doing. And then the other cat does the same thing. So it spooks me out even more. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what's going on. So I, I grabbed the medication for the dogs and, you know, I, I didn't even crush it up there. I, you know, I grabbed it and then I closed the door to the kitchen and I'm going downstairs. And I'm crushing it into the bowl as I'm walking down the stairs. And this food required me to mix water into it and mix it up with the medicine. And there was a bathroom downstairs. And right before I turned the water on in the bathroom downstairs, I hear what cannot be mistaken. It sounds like very, very loud footsteps. I mean, like, boom, 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 boom across the floor. And then boom, 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 boom across the floor the other direction. And then it does it again. So at that point, I dropped the food into the sink. I hadn't turned the water on yet. I don't recall anyway. And I run up the door, I get in the car, and I and I and I just I book it out of there. I don't even shut the gate. I just leave. I speed out of there, scare the crap out of me. I get home. You know, my dad opens the door, and he just says, "Are you okay?" And obviously, I, I have a really spooked look on my face. And I tell my dad what's going on, and he's just thinking to himself, "No, no, no." And then, really, you know, I'm telling him what I experienced, and he's like, "Okay, well, let's go take a peek before we call the police. Let's go see. Maybe there's a burglary." So he grabs a shotgun and we get into his truck and we head down there and we search the property. We search to the, the house, nothing. The burglary theory kind of went out of my mind because she had valuables right there. Just, you know, she had a couple of laptops, a guns, a shotgun sitting behind one of the doors, things like that, a stereo. Everything was still in place. Nothing was missing. The only thing was that just things missed out of place. Like the, when I walked in the living room, the couch had looked like it had been moved a little bit. But everything in the kitchen, like I said, every single drawer and every single uh, cabinet was flung wide open. So my dad helped me do it. He helped me feed the animals, bring them inside, and we go home and we talk about it. And he's just thinking, he doesn't know what to say. You know, he's just like, I don't know, maybe you did something that you forgot about. And I'm like, no, Dad, I, I didn't. But anyways, when, when this lady got back, I talked to her about it. I said, hey, listen, I have to talk to you. Do you have an astro? Like, hey, do you have anybody that comes to the house where you're gone? And she's like, no. You know, um, no, I don't. Uh, okay, well. And then I explained my story to her, and I remember... When I was telling it to her at the end, she kind of gave me this eerie smile. Just like, oh, that was, she's like, no, maybe you're imagining things. I said, no. And then she's like, well, maybe it could have been, and I'm like, could have been one. She's like, well, this house is old, you know? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you know something? I don't want to spook you. If you don't want to work for me anymore, I understand. I'm like, no, no, I do want to work for you. Just tell me. And she's just like, 
Alan, I don't want to tell you anything else about it. I just, I don't want to spook you. She's like, but do you sure you want to keep working here? So she kind of just left it there, and I kind of just did the same thing. I worked for her from that time till about the summer after I left for college. She was a really nice lady, but I remember ever since then, it was kind of a weird thing that happened. She didn't want to really want to tell me. She could have been messing with me, but I don't know. But yeah, that's my story. I, I never really had any conclusions. I had other things that kind of were weird that happened to me in the house while I was working for her, but you know, I might call them in later. But anyway, um, thanks for the show. Thank you, Alan. You know, I think we might have figured out why she was paying you so well. Some may call that hazard pay. Now the detail about you sitting in your car, staring at the open doorway. That wouldn't really hit home for me. You see, back in 2010 or so, I received a frantic call from my roommate's guests, saying that they returned home to find the front door standing wide open. Now they were in from out of town and, and were spending the day sightseeing. Well, hearing this news, I rushed home and found my roommate and his two buddies staring in the open door from the grass in the yard. They were all simply too apprehensive to step inside for fear that they could surprise a burglar hidden within. Well, once I arrived, I opted not to wait for the authorities. Against my inner voice's wishes, I slowly crept inside. Our cupboards were also all open, and nearly every belonging we had scattered across the floor. But unlike Alan's situation, the boogeyman in this instance was physical. It turns out we were robbed blind. Not that any of us owned anything of value at the time anyway. But what little there was had been taken. So I get it, Alan. It's a spooky feeling not knowing what you're stepping into. But for both our sakes, I'm happy neither of us suffered any negative circumstances. Thank you again, Alan, for sharing the entry. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our friends at Cryptic Great. Cryptic Great is the first and only monthly subscription box for cryptozoology fans. Now, I've been getting Cryptic Great for years. And if you love cryptic collectibles, t-shirts, art, books, and films as much as I do, you'll really enjoy it. If you've never heard of a subscription box before, Cryptic Great is a package delivered to your door once a month, full of cryptozoology and paranormal-themed items. Every month is a surprise, which just adds to the fun. Now, as I mentioned, I've been getting Cryptic Great for years, and let me tell you, it's really upped my t-shirt game, and it's taken my curio cabinet to the next level. Now, Cryptic Great also supports small businesses and independent artists, and Box Mountain, the company who produces Cryptic Great, is a small business themselves, which is something I can really get behind. It also makes for an awesome gift, and is a fun thing to share with your whole family. And I must say, they are hooking Monsters Among Us listeners up. Head over to CryptidCrate.com and sign up using promo code MONSTERS to receive $10 off your first month of a new subscription, as well as 10% off any non-subscription item. Now the code is good for one use per customer, and it applies to any item in their shop, not just the CryptidCrate subscription. Now, in addition, new subscribers who use code MONSTERS will also receive a free bonus piece of Monsters Among Us merchandise, you know, as a welcome gift. Now, again, that's CryptoCrate.com, C-R-Y-P-T-I-D-C-R-A-T-E.com, 
and the promo code again is MONSTERS. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show, so thank you for listening, and back to the spooky stuff. So some of tonight's entries are a bit on the longer side, so believe it or not, we're nearing the end of this gnarly ride. So let's quickly get our next submitter in here, all the way from down in Oklahoma. Please welcome Jackie to the show. Hey guys, my name is Jackie. I'm in Oklahoma and I have a disappearing person or disappearing stranger story. I was about 17 and I lived in a very small town in northeast Oklahoma at this point. And most of the roads are very long dirt roads. There's a lot of halfway developments where they will have a dirt road that literally leads to nowhere and it's for ranch hands. There's a lot of farming, there's a lot of agricultural development that happens out in this area. So I was taking a friend back to her parents' house. She had moved out, nothing eventful really there, just uh, needed some help getting her house or herself over to her stuff at the house after she'd had a U-Haul and all of that good stuff. So I went ahead and gave her a ride. I was familiar with the area. However, I wasn't familiar with like all of the dead end roads and which one was which. So as is most rural locations, you drive out to a paved road, you take the dirt road, and then you take a series of dirt road turns until you get to this house in the middle of nowhere. And that's how her house was. When I was coming back, I got a little confused. (laughs) It was broad daylight. It was probably around 1 p.m. So fully sunlit. It was a weekday and I just don't remember which weekday because I was going to go to work and I was stressing out that I was going to end up running late if I got lost. So I started picking up speed on a gravel road and I was driving a very small sports car, a Mitsubishi Eclipse. And I got a little carried away. If you drive a small car uh, too fast on a gravel road, you can very easily spin off and land in a ditch. That's what I did. Well, first of all, I went down a very long dirt road, realized it was the wrong dirt road, panicked because I was running behind and did a three-point turn, turned around and gunned it because I already knew the road was, there was nothing on the road. I already knew it was empty. There were no turnoffs. It was just a, one of those, almost like a ranch hand type dead end. Anyway, it was a straight road. I could see from the very end of the road. It was, I mean, it was several, several hundred feet, but this part of the area of Oklahoma was very flat and you could see the other dirt road that I needed to get to. So I gunned it a little bit, lost my control, ended in the ditch and the ditch was so deep, but it was narrow. So what ended up happening was the front of my car was stuck on one part of the embankment while the back of my car was kind of wedged onto the part next to the road. So if you will, I have a little tiny car and the ditch is below it and it's wider than the ditch, but there's no traction because the wheels are just there. So I couldn't drive out of it. I'm And keep in mind, I'm 17. I lived on my own at this point, but I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> So uh, we had cell phones, but we had the big old dinosaur cell phones. I had a Nokia 1517 or something. It looked like a dinosaur phone. And I kept it in my car for emergencies only, and I was starting to get it out. And right when I was getting it out, this pickup truck is coming down the road. Again, I'm on a dirt road. That dead ends. There's literally no reason to be out there. 
And they park about 100 feet to 200 feet away from me, like a very strange length away from me. They park. It's a white pickup truck. I still remember it because I had a, I had learned to drive on one like it. It was a similar to a Ford Ranger. I'm not sure if it was a Ranger, but it was just a really tiny little beat up white single cab, two door pickup truck. Nothing fancy about it. Two men get out. They look like they could be father and son. They look like ranch hands. They're definitely very sturdy and you know, they, they're fit and they get out and I am a rambly person. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet or not. And I just begin to verbal diarrhea at them. So they come out and I'm like, I've spun out. I'm in the ditch. I don't know what to do. And I just kind of verbal diarrhea. It's the best way I can explain that. They kind of smile at me. They make, we make eye contact, we don't, but they don't speak to me. They don't say anything. And then they talk to each other very quietly and away from me. I never heard what they were saying. And I promise you the next part sounds like I'm making it up, but I swear to God it happened. They picked my car up and put it on the road. (laughs) It was a little car and there were two of them and they were fit, but, and it wasn't, it sounds way crazier than it looked, but one of them just kind of lifted it enough. And then the other one stepped around and there was a part of the ditch where he could kind of, he was a taller man and he could step over and get the front of the car. I don't know how it happened. They did it. I watched it happen. They set it on the thing. And then I began my verbal diarrhea part two of thank you. Let me pay you. Oh my gosh. And I'm just freaking out both based on what I saw and you know what happened anyway the younger one smiled they were wearing cowboy hats this is very common in that area and he tipped his hat and they got in the car and never spoke a word to me and then they drove past me around my car that they had put on the road they put my car on the correct like going away from where I needed to go it was pointing in the right direction for me but they drove toward the dead end So I don't need to tell you if you've ever been on dirt road, there's a trail behind any car when they go on that dirt road. It's just a little smoke, fog, dirt trail. And anyway, so they take off. It was normal. I get in the car and I'm kind of tooling around and and then I uh, get everything settled. I take a minute. I sit there. I take a breath because it was just a lot for me. And I was a 17-year-old girl on the middle of nowhere on a dirt road. I decided to get out to make sure I didn't like damage my tires or my bumpers or any of my headlights or do any type of outside damage. And again, maybe a minute had passed. It wasn't, I didn't cry or it wasn't anything that big. I just sat in there and kind of took a breath and collected myself and then prepared myself for what I might see on my car damage. So I walked around, no damage, but there's no truck. There's no truck. There was no trail where they were. They never came back by. I stayed on the road for a few more minutes. I almost turned around to go see where they could have ended up, and I just decided not to. But it was just weird. It was like they disappeared, like, into nothing. So they were clearly possibly ranch hands. That road was a ranch hand access, so it is incredibly possible that they knew some little tucked away hole. But keep in mind, I'd already driven all the way down to the road, and there wasn't anything. And it was one of those that even I thought was weird because there was no like cattle gate, no cattle guards. There was nothing that you would drive into. There were no tracks. There were no driveways. There was no way off. It was literally just fields, some trees, but like spark, like you could see through them. It wasn't woods. It was just a couple of trees and flat land. So in theory, if they were parked in the field, I could see them. 
but they were just gone. So to this day, I'm still not 100% sure what happened. But that's my story. I thought I'd share it if anybody else had encountered that. Anyway, I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Jackie. That's pretty wild. It's like a guardian angel in Wranglers. Now, the details of this event are curious for sure. Did the men not speak English, perhaps? Is that the reason they didn't speak to Jackie or communicate out loud? Were they local to that road and knew of a destination that Jackie simply missed? And above all else, were these men gifted with superpowers of some sort? I don't know the year of Jackie's car, but a 2010 Mitsubishi Eclipse weighs in at around 3,400 pounds. You know, that's only 1,700 pounds per cowboy. Now, maybe it was simply a matter of leverage. Maybe the car was teetering on the bank ever so slightly and allowed them to pivot it back to the road. But I don't know. Something about it tells me it's a strange encounter and one that I can only assume will remain a mystery. So thank you again, Jackie, for taking the time to share it with us. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? You know, it's no secret, I've personally struggled with depression for years. And I can tell you from experience, there's no better time than the present to focus on your mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is right for you. You can connect in a safe, private, and convenient online environment and send messages to your counselor anytime from anywhere. You also have the option to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours upon sign-up. Now, BetterHelp's dedicated counselors specialize in depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and a whole lot more. And thankfully, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And you know, financial aid is available. Now, if you've been struggling, you are not alone. Join over 1 million people who have already taken charge of their mental health by visiting betterhelp.com slash monsters among us. Now, as an MAU listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. That's betterhelp.com slash monsters among us. And as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And now back to the spooky stuff. And here we find ourselves at the threshold of tonight's final entry. And did I save something special for you? Hailing from the state of Utah, please join me in welcoming Sam to the program. Hi. My name is Sam. I'm an avid backpacker, and a few years ago, back in 2016, I had been hiking the Appalachian Trail. It took me about six and a half months to complete the trail. I'd never really been into the paranormal or into aliens. My father and I used to always joke about aliens, and I thought he was kidding. But as I've gotten older and I've asked him more serious questions, he, it turns out, was 100% serious my whole entire life. Just as far as his background, and I don't even know if I should say this, but um, my dad retired from the Air Force. He was an OSI agent, an officer of special investigation in the military my whole entire life. 
his master's degree is in biology, and so he um, was a biologist and then somehow ended up going to work for the OSI after that. So my story while I was on the Appalachian Trail, there's two actually, and one of them I had, I don't know if it was a dream or if it was real, but I remember looking at my hands and going, this can't be a dream because you don't feel like things are wet in a dream. And there was water on my hands. And I thought this couldn't be a dream because I can I can feel the fogginess. I can feel how damp the air is. And this can't be a dream. And so I kept hiking and I thought this was such a weird feeling to be in. I was in the mountains of North Carolina, and along those mountains, you follow just below the ridge line. So you go into these big V's, and you kind of come out of them um, and round the corner into these other big V's. I hope that's, you know, easy for you to picture. But essentially, I had come to the top corner of the V, and early on in the trail, there's a lot of hikers on trail because it's the season for it. and You know, not a lot of people have given up yet or gone home. And so I looked across the V to see if I could see any other hikers because occasionally you can see, you know, your buddies who you met in a previous town or, you know, someone who you saw at a shelter the night before. And it was really foggy. And when I looked across the V, I saw two white figures who were moving It was almost like they were at the airport and those giant belts that move people along, it's like they were gliding in unison and they were just so white and glowy and very slender and I remember their hands were so slender and so long and I was stunned. I could feel the tears on my cheeks and I knew that the tears were real so I must have been I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is a really intense dream because I'm crying in my sleep. I was staring. I was just stunned and shocked. And the one who was in the back, it turned its head towards me. And I remember there being eyes, but I don't remember a mouth. But in my head, he used my name and he said hello to me. And then they rounded the corner and then they were gone. The next morning, I woke up and I was shaken. I was just so freaked out. And what was weird was the fact that I woke up the next day and it was considerably later than I was used to waking up. When I had crawled out of my tent, I had noticed that everybody else who was at that specific campsite had packed up and had left for the day which was odd because I was normally one of the first ones out of camp. I had started hiking and I I couldn't stop thinking about that dream. And then I had gotten to this point in the trail where I rounded this corner and it was the exact spot from my dream. It looked so eerily similar that I stood there and didn't feel like I could move. I was terrified to keep going. I was especially scared of what was going to be around that other corner of that V and what I was going to see. And I just went and I plowed through that day and I just like put my head down, put my headphones in 
and tried to just get to other people to just be around other people because I felt like something crazy had happened or like I don't even know how to explain that but it was one of the most bizarre experiences and I've never in my life had a dream that I felt the elements of what was going on cold the fogginess the dewiness in the air just everything and the way he 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 or she it whatever the way it spoke inside my brain like it had known me like this wasn't the first time that we had interacted it was weird it was eerily familiar and then that brings me to the second experience this one was a further up trail so it was a few weeks past the events with the white creatures in the woods i was up at a campfire with a guy from Philadelphia, which has to do with his trail name, but I guess I'll leave that out. And we were just talking about like food that we were going to eat in town or, you know, different movies that were coming out that we wanted to see and just, you know, things that you talk about while you're on trail. And we were probably about eight miles in from the James River footbridge in Southern Virginia. He and I had hiked together for a good amount of the day, and we got to camp that night. We were just sitting around talking around the campfire. We were the last two awake, and we heard four loud, methodical knocks, probably about a quarter mile away. And you have to keep in mind, these are two people who have been living in the woods for two months at that point. The noises in the woods weren't scary to us at all. It was something that we had lived with, you know, and something that we were prepared to live with for the next four months. So it was just boom, 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 boom. It had sounded like someone had taken a two by four and hit it up against a tree. And I couldn't help myself. I said, Philly, knock back. And he goes, no, I'm not doing that. And I said, no, do it. Knock back. Nothing will happen. And I just like tried to talk him into it and like eventually convinced him to pick up a log and hit it against a tree. And Philly knocked five times. So knock, 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 knock. And then we wait and I just start laughing because I had convinced him to do this and I thought that was funny. And then probably about four to five minutes later, we hear the same four loud knocks, um, but this time it was about a hundred feet away. And it was so loud that the other campers who were camped by that stream yelled at us to shut up. And Philly and I, at that point, because the first round of knocks, we had definitely like the hairs on the back of our neck had stood up and we were both feeling like a little bit uneasy about it. And then when we knocked back and heard those same four knocks again, we were putting out the fire, uh, running to our tent. I had actually already set up my bed inside the shelter of, it's like this lean-to shelter that's down by the stream. And I didn't want to set up my tent because uh, it was supposed to rain or something that night. And I didn't want my tent to get wet. So I decided to sleep inside the lean-to, which had I have known that we were going to hear these terribly loud booming knocks, I probably wouldn't have done that because I was alone by myself in that shelter. And then the next morning, 
I woke up and I was getting dressed and I had noticed a large softball size, I mean, massive bruise on my chest that was really, really dark. And I mean, just a huge bruise that I had no recollection of when I would have fallen or something hitting me or anything like that. And it was to the point where like I showed my friend at the time and I said, can you believe this? And she like looks at my chest and she was like, oh my gosh, like, did you go to a doctor? It was a massive bruise. And so then the running joke on trail was that Bigfoot gave me a hickey in the middle of the night, which is a terrible joke. (laughs) But yeah, it was just really odd. It was a really weird experience. But afterwards, somebody had been telling me that the knocking in the woods is one of the signs of like Bigfoot and that that like encompasses a lot of Bigfoot experiences. I just want to wrap up by saying now I've kind of gone into a deep dive into this, trying to figure out exactly because uh, I feel skeptical, but at the same time, I'm always um, curious and always want to see. So who knows? I love your podcast, and I will keep up the investigations and keep up the curiosity. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you, Sam. These certainly are two wild stories. Two seemingly unconnected stories. But what would you say if I told you that there may be some sort of connection here? Now, assuming the entities you witnessed were somehow extraterrestrial in nature... And let's suppose the knocking sounds were in fact produced by a Bigfoot-like creature. How could the two possibly be connected? Well, believe it or not, there are researchers of the subject that swear Bigfoot is some sort of extraterrestrial, brought here by the strange craft often reported in conjunction with Bigfoot sightings. And although this might be the first you're hearing of this theory, it's been around for quite some time. The following excerpt is from a 1975 documentary, Journeys from Beyond the Earth. What are these creatures? Where do they come from? How did they get here? Recently, an astonishing number of Bigfoot reports have coincided with UFO sightings and landings. Are the UFOs dropping these creatures here to see if they can live on our Earth? And why has no one found any bones or the remains of one of them? Do these giants, as psychic Peter Herkus claims, decompose into powder when they die? Or are they perhaps picked up again by the UFOs to be examined in alien laboratories? But this isn't just a theory tossed out there by kooky old-timers. This hypothesis has some contemporary momentum. There is a strong case to be made that Bigfoot, or as they are called by native people, Sasquatch, are in fact non-human, intelligent alien beings. What really interests me are some of the weirder aspects of the Bigfoot phenomenon, where people have claimed to have seen these creatures and they've sort of vanished in a flash of light, or they've literally just almost dissolved or they've been seen in conjunction with strange little balls of light flitting around the woods, sort of the size of tennis balls, maybe sometimes the size of a basketball. And the, the creatures have been seen in almost exactly the same location and the same time. 
that. But then you have other cases where people have claimed to have seen sort of huge objects, flying saucers, UFOs, in the areas. For example, um, in 1973 in Pennsylvania, there was a huge wave of Bigfoot slash UFO activity throughout Pennsylvania, predominantly in like the forested areas. And Stan Gordon, um, a researcher who's still in the field today, did a lot of really good research into that. And, you know, in some of those cases, they weren't talking about blurry lights or they were talking fuzzy lights. They were talking about solid craft of some sort of kind. Now that was researcher Nick Redfern on the documentary, The Bigfoot Alien Connection Revealed. And as Redford mentioned, there seems to be hotspot areas where this phenomenon is experienced. He mentioned the Chestnut Ridge in Pennsylvania. But a few of these other hotspots come to mind. Edwards Air Force Base here in California. The deserts near Joshua Tree and Anza Borrego, also here in California. And a super quick update on that, by the way. David and I are currently scheduling the first shoot dates for mid-June, so we're finally going to get rolling on that particular project. So stay tuned for further updates. And of course, likely near the top of places with a UFO Bigfoot connection is a small Native American community in northern New Mexico. Dulce is a quiet, unassuming town nestled in northern New Mexico. Many of its residents are members of the Hikaria Apache tribe. They swear. I tell stories, but my nose isn't, isn't growing. <laughs> they are not making this up. They threw down a ladder from that, that spaceship. And then two small people started climbing down. Jerry Julian says she had her first extraterrestrial encounter right here on her Dulce Ranch about 40 years ago. It was huge. I just saw like just saw the bottom of it. You know, it was like flat like this. Why are stories of the extraordinary ordinary here? I do not know. I do not know. Probably in kind of that big uh, mountain we have right there, you know. Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archuleta Mesa here. The mountain overlooks Dulce. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. Do you believe that? Yeah. Well, a whole bunch of people seen it, you know. Like the ground opened up, steam coming out of it. They also claim they've seen some creatures cooked up in those experiments, like Bigfoot and something half-human. Down this way, the waist down, it's a goat. It has a tail. But up here, it's a man. Now we will focus more on the terrors that reportedly take place within the secret base in a future episode. And that clip comes courtesy of KOAT, Action News 7 out of New Mexico. So is it possible that Sam stumbled upon one of these areas where both odd phenomena takes place? Is there some sort of installation located there that could possibly explain this eerie activity? You know, a quick glance of the map tells us that Pope Air Force Base, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, and Langley are all in that general area. So if those places are what's on record, imagine what could be hiding there. That's off record. Now, regardless, thank you again, Sam, for sharing the story. And as for the odd bruising, this is just a shot in the dark. But if it was Sasquatch, you know many researchers claim it has the ability to produce infrasound, 
essentially a low sound wave, so powerful that the invisible wave itself can do physical harm. Now, believe it or not, this ability is already in use in nature in animals such as elephants, alligators, and lions. So perhaps you were hit by this wave and didn't realize it. Now then, the question is raised. Can anything produce a sound wave so powerful to bruise a human being? Well, I'll be honest, that's for someone smarter than myself to figure out. But it certainly looks good on paper. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please join us on social media. We have accounts at Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget, if you're looking for that kooky gift for that crazy person in your life, check me out on Cameo. The terrifying score that you hear is Co.AG Music and Carl Casey and White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. So it seems everyone is looking to book some sort of travel this summer. Well, what do you do when the tool you trust to get you there turns against you? Hey, man. So I got a story happened about six years ago. Me and my buddy Nick, we were headed back to Victorville, California from a small town, Kuski, Idaho. And normally I take the 84, but I saw that in Twin Falls, Idaho, there's this side highway and it's shaved four hours. We can get to Vegas. Sounded like a good time, so... We started mobbing, we hit that side highway, we realized it's a two-lane road, and, uh, you know, it's a long drive. It was nice weather, it wasn't raining, clear skies. So we're driving about six hours down this road, sun's going down, we come across the town, it's just, it's abandoned, like there's nothing there. I have no idea what highway this is, the town, we needed gas, there's nothing. It was a little creepy, you know, we were like 18, so it was weird. So we pushed on, he's got the GPS on his phone. At the time, it was when the Blackberries were cool, so he had one of the old school Android. We're going, and GPS taking us to Vegas, and we finally come across a gas station. We go inside, the, guy, it's, the whole aura is just weird. At this point, it's pitch black outside. You can't see far in front of your headlights, it's just black. So the whole gas station experience was a creep show. We hurry up, get back in our car, continue down this highway. The highway comes to a dead end. GPS says to go left to Vegas. The sign says go right for Vegas only. So in my mind, I'm like, well, we're already taking the shortcut. So let's just follow the GPS. So we go left. Well, we go down a couple miles. 
it's pitch black out there. There's nothing. And the GPS just all of a sudden says, turn right. Well, I pull off this little highway off the little shoulder it had. And next thing I know, I'm staring at a empty ranch, the entrance. And the GPS tells me to pull forward. It was just really weird. I'm just curious if anybody else has gone down from Twin Falls, Idaho, straight down through Nevada versus going through Vegas and the 84. I don't know what it called us out there for. I don't know if it was a glitch, but it creeped us out. It wanted us to drive into an abandoned ranch in the middle of nowhere. Me and him swear we saw some lights and weird things, but every time we talk about it, everybody gives us a hard time. So I've never had a GPS take me to a weird lot and and been abandoned towns everywhere throughout Nevada. It was uh, definitely, I take the 84 now when when I drive back from there. So, all right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you, caller. Now, oddly enough, we've received strange reports about the roads in that particular part of the country before. Carrie and her big weird bird comes to mind. She and her mother were making the trip from Reno to Vegas and ended up way off route. There was missing time, a Thunderbird-esque creature. It was pretty wild. To hear the full tale, check out Season 3, Episode 3, or the latest Monsters Among Us Beyond installment, MAUB 46, over on Patreon. Now, thanks again, caller, for the entry. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.